This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing, and I'm your host, J. Scott. I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field enjoying God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Hello and welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we're fortunate to have a good friend of mine, Craig Steele of Exclusive Pursuit Outfitters. And Craig is uh, one of Arizona's best big game hunting guides. And he also is very involved in media, social media, and um, other other platforms. Craig, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Jake? Pretty good. Uh, Craig uh, has been a lifelong hunter. And um, Craig, how did you get your start in hunting? Do you even remember your first hunt? Or did you start when you were so young you don't even remember? Uh, I uh, yeah, I guess it was, I don't know exactly, first hunt, but uh, if you count chucking rocks at cottontail rabbits as, as my first hunt, I mean, I guess that started at six, seven, eight years old, but my first official, I guess, big game hunt was when I was 10 years old. Uh, that was a bull elk tag and uh the famous arizona's famous unit nine it was a late season hunt and um, i killed a bull on the on the first day but i I just grew up in a in a hunting family and it was just kind of prioritized in our life that you know we were going to go hunting so that's kind of how i got started in hunting and craig um you can correct me or or you know Tell me whatever you you remember, but um, you have hunting roots on both sides of your family. I mean, I believe both of your grandfather's hunt, uh, your dad hunts. Your, I mean, it's it's in both sides of your family, is it not? Yeah, no, it is. It's 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 pretty deep, you know. I um, my my mom's dad. Um, we don't have a close relationship, but um, he was kind of a. I I don't know if he's a famous hunter, but. Um, he was very heavily involved in outfitting and and hunting, you know, both uh, predators and uh, bighorn sheep. Um, he was a guide, and uh, he hunted Alaska and all over the world, uh, Bernie Lawrence. And then uh, uh, my dad and my dad's um, dad were probably the uh, two biggest influencers um, in my hunting, I guess, um, life you know um they were the ones that kind of set aside the time to actually take me out and get me involved in it and that's kind of where you know that strung from but there's there's definitely you know for lack of better terms deep blood on both sides that that kind of the hunting juice runs in so sure um yeah it it's um knowing you and knowing, you know, how you are, uh, it's, it's clear to me that, uh, you know, you've got deep roots in, in hunting. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of your website and um, a lot of the stuff you do on social media and the videos. Um, why don't you tell me your um, website addresses and social media accounts um, so that my listeners, if they don't know you, can easily find you. Okay. Well, I got started kind of hunting industry kind of I guess if you want to call it career was I I fell in love with uh, Gordon Eastman films Um, Phantom Ram how to talk to the deer Um, I just I loved his his style of filming and telling a story and um, that got me started in the early two around 2000 2001 I think I bought a my first video camera and started filming and uh, I, I published a couple DVDs and sold them in Sportsman's Warehouse and you know quickly found out there wasn't a ton of money in that um, but I just enjoy filming um, and then I kind of put that on the shelf and then in I think it was 2009-2010 I started a, a the idea of a magazine called the Outdoorsman's Resource Guide it was kind of like an annual magazine um, um, and then kind of built it up until 2013 and we published them by state and they had resources hunting guides and taxidermists and they were kind of like a half magazine half resource guide well in 
um, I think it was 2000, what is it, 2015, January 2014, um, made a decision just based on the media landscape that we live in now to to cut the cut the print magazine and just um, continue blogging and publishing videos. Um, and the website was changed in September of 2013 to orchunt.com. And that it just basically kind of stands for Organization of Hunters. It's just several of us that come on there and, and blog about different topics, mainly me. I, I do 95% of it. Um, but it's basically just a media outlet now for me and where I, I talk about, you know, just different thoughts and feelings and hunts and, and I can share all sorts of things hunting. Um, and then, um, over that course of that, uh, from, I think, let's see, 2011 to, to now, um, I met my current partner, Lee Murphy. Um, and in 2000, I think it was 2013, we started Exclusive Pursuit Outfitters, and then we started Predator Exclusives, um, which are two basically, uh, one's a predator hunting outfitting business, and the other one's a, uh Arizona big game hunting outfitting business. And uh, that's kind of how, um, you know, or where I'm at today. And uh, through all that, all that stuff, uh, you know, and you know this, that, that I do a lot, spend a lot of time on the web. In fact, that's how we met was, was through our YouTube videos. Um, um, I think you, I, I was publishing a video called the rookie, I think, um, back in 08 or 09 before I even, I just wanted to be involved in the hunting industry. And I knew the web was something that you could put content out and, and people could find you for, for, for nothing, basically just your time. And that's how we met. And so that's, that's what I do daily is I, I write video edit, publish stuff, um, promote our outfitting businesses. And it's, it's every single day. Um, if, if my wife wants to find me, she knows exactly where I'm sitting. I'm either, I'm either hunting or I'm in here on the PC or, or, you know, in an editing program or, or something putting out content or on my phone, putting out a picture on Instagram. So that's it. Well, it's, you know, as someone that follows you and someone that's a friend with, with you, um, it's very evident that you're passionate about it and you do a fantastic job with all of the different outlets you have. And, you know, uh, not only are, not only are you an incredible guide, but you, um, seem to be on the forefront of uh, things going on with with uh, all of the m media outlets. Um, one of the things that I it really fascinates me is you know your hunt for more concept. You have a series that's been running, I believe, all year, um, and you specifically talk about hunting for more. and And I know you, and know that you kill. And you get your clients on some very big animals. And, you know, Arizona is a competitive state where, you know, inches mean a lot here in, in this state, whether we want to admit it or not. Um, but you've seen from the beginning always had the, you know, you had this desire to want to make it more than just inches. Tell me about Hunt for More. Tell me about, do you measure your success in inches? Is it an inch fest? Uh, how, how, do, how, do you, uh, how do you combat that when you're trying to kill the biggest thing on the mountain, but you also want to keep it in perspective? You, you know, and this is, honestly, I started Hunt for More, I guess that, that name was was really because I didn't, um, it, it feels like, and it might be just because we're in it all the time, but it, it feels like there's an obsession with, with bragging rights and, and, and this obsession with, with everybody killing the biggest stuff. And, and I think us as guides and outfitters, I think a lot of times we, we bring a lot of this stuff upon ourselves because we market everything is the biggest and baddest, especially in Arizona. Just, just, just like you said, 
You know, I mean, and I'm not saying like you and I, uh, like we can't not be trophy hunters because that's totally, I mean, we are, you know what I mean? I think the guy that would, you have two bucks standing there together. You have a, you know, 18 inch two point and a, you know, and which is a year and a half old buck. And then you have a, you know, eight year old 30 inch two point 99.9% of hunters are going to shoot that 30 inch two point. And to me, that's, that's kind of defines what a trophy hunter is. Um, but I guess hunt for more was just basically like, what, what are we, what are we ultimately doing it for? Um, because there's always going to be somebody that kills something that's bigger. There's always going to be killed somebody that kills something that, you know, scores an inch bigger or breaks this record or breaks, you know, this record. And, and although I think they're all awesome goals to have, I think if, you know, if you want to go out there, you know, when I was in high school, I was on, and this sounds kind of weird since it's a long time ago, but I was on homecoming court and, and the last thing they said when they called my name and they got to write a speech was I wanted to marry a hot blonde, live in a log cabin. I wanted to kill the world record elk. Um, and, but that was the mentality. That was your, that was your that, goals to that aspire was my to be? goals to aspire to be was to kill the world record elk. And, you know, but over time you start to realize that, man, a 370 bull is big, man, a, you know, a 360 bull is big, man, a, you know, 390 bull is giant and, and how hard it actually is to kill some of these animals. And, and, and I guess I I never want to be labeled as somebody that, that is just disappointed because I didn't reach, you know, a a certain number thrown out there by, you know, a certain group to to measure up to anything. I, I think, you know, we, we all go through, um, things in our, in our entire life that that are challenges and you can't measure that in inches you can't measure you know um what a guy that goes out there and travels out of state and comes here on his own and kills a big old bull elk versus you know the resident that lives right next door and kills a bull elk i mean who's got the bigger challenges the guy that came from out of state you know and i mean there could be a number of different things going on what how about the you know the the surgeon out there that that hires you or i to hire to 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 have a good hunt and he kills a big old bull elk and you know a lot of this quote-unquote terms that you know of this diy hunting which i i totally appreciate um sometimes gets overused and misconstrued because you know that surgeon is out there you know let's say he's a brain surgeon and and he's devoting his entire life to that he hires us you know to, to, to basically help them, you know, kill, kill a big bull. Some guys, you know, the misnomer is out there is everybody's hiring everybody to kill the world record when there's a lot of guys out there that just don't have the time. They're in a profession and they just don't have the time to put into it to give them a shot to kill a 350, to give them a shot to kill a 370, to kill, give them a shot to kill a 400 and, you know, um, I want that guy to be better at be a better brain surgeon, um, and I, I and I don't want I, I think whether you label it as DIY or going with a guide or whatever, I think the inches has really somewhat brought out the worst of us as human beings within the hunting culture because it it becomes a well I killed this well I killed this well I killed this and then you know, you know, as well as I do, it's like, you're never, you're never going to be up on the top of the mountain for long, yeah. you know, and, and, and that's, it's just a measurement. So I just started that hunt for more series because number one, I know I'm pretty self-aware. I think sometimes, um, that, that I am now, you know, uh, an outfitter and guide and that people out there, you know, that, that don't have the means or don't want to hire me may not view some of my content just because quote unquote, I'm not the DIY guru anymore. And, and so I want people to realize that, you know, there's a, there's a whole nother side to this and, and you need to go out there and you go into the mindset of hunting for more, whether it be memories, whether it be, you know, you know, a challenge, whether it be, you know, a different weapon, whether it be, you know, whatever, whatever it may be, just hunt for more. Don't just label it on, you know, this 
you know, bighorn sheep scores 190 inches and this one scores 170. So now, you know, we're the best outfitter or we're the best hunter because we killed a 190 and you killed a 170 when not everybody's playing on the same golf course, so to speak. You know, you have different units, you have to draw those, you have different years. There's so many factors that weigh into it that I just think oh, the inches has just almost, it's not the inches, it's just basically, you know, if you come down to a um, a biblical or a, uh, you know, any sort of uh, religious standpoint, the humans, um, our, our nature has, has yeah. turned it into... Um, just this and and i'm for i love competition but it it seems like that's what defines the hunt is whether or not you know who killed the biggest bull when yeah when in i mean you know what exactly i I think you know one of the challenges when you're you know chasing the inches which you know like i've said i i'm we Dar and I in our outfitting business and me personally as a hunter, you know, I like to kill the biggest animal, the most mature animal that I can. And I would be lying to say that I don't get caught up in it sometimes, but I constantly have to rein myself in and and go back to. And one of the things that I like about your series, Hunt for More, so much is it brings me back to we're doing this. Everybody does Everybody hunts for different reasons, but I want to make sure that the reasons that I hunt are, one, because I love it. Two, it's about the camaraderie and the fellowship. And, uh, you know, if we can kill big old animals and big mature animals at the same time, then great. Uh, One point I would like to make with that mantra or with what you had when you were a senior in high school, uh, seems to me you've fulfilled all of those goals except for killing the world record elk. Yeah. I just thought I'd point that out. Well, I don't live in a log cabin, and some could say my wife's dishwater blonde, but I definitely okay. fulfilled the first one. So okay. I, I definitely married... Uh, you married I, up, I can tell uh, you that. Oh, so. oh, yeah. And I married yeah. when I was young, so that was the only way I was able to do it. <laughs> yeah, you married up for sure. Um, Greg, let's talk about... And I love all that stuff you're talking about, Hunt for More, and I, I love all that. But let's shift a little bit and talk about um, Linda Kelly's sheep hunt this year um, in Unit 15D, your backyard. Um, you're from Kingman, Arizona, born and raised. Um, tell me, you know, I, I know because I've watched the story and you and I talked a lot throughout the scouting and the hunt. Not only about the sheep. I, I want to hear about the sheep. I want to hear, you know, the condition you feel the sheep are in and, and all of the details of that. But tell me some of the emotions um, that you felt. Uh, dive into that. Okay. Um, well, this hunt meant a ton. You know, I, I, I really, I wanted to, you know, you, you've been harping on me for years and because... Um, you know, I, I live right here, and uh, um, first off, for people that don't know that are listening, you know, there's only around 100 sheep tags in the state of Arizona. There's only X amount through across across the country, um, you know, for desert or Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep tags, so they're very hard to get. Um, and, you know, whether it be drawing them or even guiding them, the competition is high to you know, to, to book one of these hunts. Um, and where I live, I'm just very blessed to live about 15 minutes from, you know, the, the 15 D North and 15 D, um, 15 C and 16 A. So I'm, I'm just very blessed with location. Other people are blessed in other ways to live closer to other things, but I'm blessed with, with Nelson, Nelson, I subspecies of desert bighorn sheep, but I, uh, my family, uh, my immediate family, my, uh, started with my dad, uh, my dad, um, and then this is stuff I haven't even shared, but my dad drew his bighorn sheep tag the year after his sister died. Um, his sister was younger than him and she died of, a uh, uh, basically she had a blood clot and she was, um, 
pregnant and she was bedridden at the time and um, she passed away. So he decided to, he was going to put in for, for uh, Desert Bighorn Sheep. He, he ranched um, his, his grandparents um, were the ranchers on, in, the, in some of that country. And so he was always around them. Um, he applied, and the next year he drew. Um, his first year, that was 1985. Um, he shot a ram. He missed the big ram, and then he shot a ram that was, uh, uh, I think he was aged at 13 years old, and he shot him in Unit 15C. It wasn't even 15C South at the time. Were you alive at this time? Yeah, I was. I was five years old. There's pictures of me floating around. I'm sure somewhere in my Thundercat pajamas went, the day after he brought him home, and me sitting on him. And it wasn't shortly thereafter than that they picked a tick out of my back that I'm sure I got from the sheep because I'm sure nice. I was out there looking at it when nobody else was around. And but anyway, so he he killed that ram the next year. The next year, his best friend drew the tag, and they killed the ram um, that was transplanted from down south. I'm not even sure what unit, but he was 166. It was the ram my dad had missed, but he had broke off part of his, part of his horn, and he was almost 10 inches on his last measurement. He had he was definitely a, uh, uh, wasn't a, a full-blown Nelson. Um, and uh, they killed that ram. And then my dad helped people. He never was a guide, still isn't a guide. He helped people um, kill rams And um, after all that. And I don't know when exactly, but it wasn't too long after his best friend had killed that ram that his best friend died in a car accident, the one that killed the ram. Um, so then, then my sister drew... And I think it was 89 for 15D. And at the time, um, and this is where we go back to certain things. At the time, I think um, Don Martin um, had the muzzleloader world record. It wasn't very, you know, that big. It was like 152 at the time. I don't, I don't know what it is now. I know it's definitely bigger than that. Um, but, but it, it was. I mean, it was the world record at the time. And uh, you know, back then. You know, there wasn't too many people shooting with scopes, and my my dad and sister somehow came up with the idea that an 11-year-old girl was going to try to break the world record, muzzle the world record. Your, your older sister. My older sister. She drew the tag, and okay. they missed a 170 ram, and then the last day, they found like an old, old class 4 ram, and she missed him with the rifle, and she actually got mad at my dad because she found out... Um, that my dad only thought it would go in the high 150s. Um, and, you know, it just goes back to that, you know. Kind of when you're younger, you're, you're into that. That score is really kind of the the way you hear people talk about it and measure up stuff, you know. So it kind of, you know, she was hoping to get one that was a least state book, which is 162. So anyway, she didn't kill. And then in uh, 92... I drew my tag. I think it was my third year applying before bonus points or, you know, preference points. Um, How old were you? I was 12 years old. It was a two-week season back then. And uh, we had a ram found, um, a ram found that my dad thought was close to book. Um, once you know in those units, if you get a ram that's close to book or at book, you better think about shooting him. Um, as far as if you're looking for something score wise, cause I mean, there's not right. And book is 168 for our listeners. If they didn't know. Yeah. 168. It's, it's just the area. That's, that's a big Ram. It's going to be a top one or two, you know, it's going to be the top tier Ram killed in the region. And, uh, anyway, some other hunters got in there. They killed the small Ram that was with him and they ran him off and, after that, it was a hunt, and most people, if you guys don't know, most pe- most people kill their rams within the first couple days, um, most of the time, um, and uh, after the first three days or four days, I think, I think one hunter may have killed on the fifth day, but uh, it was just me, and uh, man, we looked over a ton of sheep. But I really wanted to kill something that was 168. My dad wanted me to kill something that was 168. I mean, it, 
you know, as a kid, you're kind of let on, but I, I mean, I was a real competitive kid, you know, played sports and, and all that. And hunting was something that I was, I wouldn't say better at than everybody else, but it was something that I definitely probably got into more than everybody else that, you know, went, went to school with me. And I was pulled out. It was, uh, before Christmas vacation. Um, <laughs> so I had, uh, I was taking every day off. Um, from school, you were hunting. You yeah, were going to school. I wasn't going to hunting. school, and and you know uh, I was in junior junior high at the time. Um, I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure I was in seventh grade, and uh, yeah, I was in seventh grade. So I was in junior high um, or middle school, whatever seventh grade. And um, you know, I, I think back then, you know, being in a small community, it wasn't too big of an issue. It was only junior high or middle school you could go to. Um, and I don't remember any of the teachers getting on me. I remember a few of them asking how it went, you know, that were hunters themselves. And that's that's kind of something. Wasn't it kind of a deal that, I mean, they just knew that you weren't going to come to school anyway. Oh, so like, it was like if they got mad about it, it's. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, you know, that was pre-internet, pre all that stuff. So the, the newspaper was, you know, and every Wednesday we had an outdoor column that um, Don Martin wrote that, that, you know, I was, you know, I got. I got newspaper clippings. My mom always kept all that stuff that, you know, steel, steel hunting or stuff like that, that, you know, I, I was the only hunter in the whole entire region that was left after five days. And, uh, um, yeah, so they, that, that's one thing that's cool about, about the, the culture of a rural community. I think that we're missing out a lot in urban environments is, you know, now everything's based on, you know, they want you, in fact, my, daughter this year and i'm going to say this um the the teacher gave her some grief about missing school for and and kind of jabbed her when we weren't around um about missing school for her deer hunt this year and and you know it'd be one thing if we were you know if we were people that you could profile as drug addicts and, and not good parents but it's just stupid you know if you're going to spend time in anywhere at some point in time you gotta and i'm gonna get off on a tangent you're gonna have to you have to realize as as a culture that that the difference between good parents and bad parents and and bad students and she's a i mean she's a top 10 percent kid you know she's one of those kids that's just you know gets good grades and she doesn't really i don't want to say she doesn't try hard but i think she could put more effort to make even better grades but anyway so well, the say, you know the saying of you know don't let an edu- uh, don't let school get in the oh, way of a good yeah. education. Yeah, no, that's it exactly because it's just like that's just and define education. My wife and I had this talk the other day. Is uh, our our society has gotten into this rage where education is only what school teaches you, and that's just a bunch of crock. So yeah. that, moving forward, I guess I, I hunted. Uh, my dad ran out of vacation time. And, uh, I was hunting with my grandfather on my, my dad's dad. And, uh, he didn't know a lot about bighorn sheep. Of course I was 12 years old and, uh, you know, we were glassing with, I think maybe one set of 10 powers. I might've had a set of eight powers and we had like, probably like a Tasco spotting scope. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I was sh- a little bit under guns. I was shooting a 22, 250 that I now shoot coyotes with. Uh, I mean, we, it, it, my parents weren't, weren't wealthy or rich. And, and, and there was a lot of people that had a lot more money than we did at the time that kind of frowned upon me getting a sheep tag. And it was kind of comical that, that my parents would basically, it was that important. I mean, I, I mean, for, you know, I, I lived in a double wide mobile home and it was that, that it was just what we did, you know, and, and it was my parents, you know, sacrificed and applied me, um, and turned me into a monster quote unquote to speak of, you know, because of their sacrifice. But we hunted, I hunted with my grandfather when my dad was, uh, uh, at work and he didn't have enough vacation time to get through the hunt. And, uh, we seen, um, I talk about this on the very first hunt for more. This is where kind of gets a little bit, 
it got emotional for me visiting some of these spots because I, I'd, I'd helped a couple people on some sheep hunts out there, but I hadn't really been able to, you know how it is as a guy, because I mean, we're getting paid or, or when it's our own hunt or, or somebody that's really, really close to you and you have time to go out there and justify it to your wife why you're out there, you know, um, but I really hadn't had the time to sit out there and kind of reflect and go to all these different spots and glass for sheep. And then it started clicking. This spot, this is where this ram was. And this spot, this is where this was. And, um, and so here you are, t- how many years later, and you're, you're pulling up the spots and remembering stuff that's flooding flooding back in 20 something years later and i'm gonna tell you something later that's just crazy and i know you and i both get it because we're believers and but uh uh yes it was it was very emotional there's one moment the spot where i end up basically and there's a lot more to what you see on youtube on oricon.com's youtube channel on the hunt for more number one there's a lot more that that i cut out that you know was just sitting there sobbing like a little baby but basically you know, I was hunting there that day with my grandfather, and we'd seen some rams, and there was one big old chocolate-colored ram that looked big to us. You know, it was in the evening, and he just looked big to us, and it was probably like the 10th day, you know. I mean, you're a 12-year-old kid and a, you know, 68-year-old man out there, and, you know, we couldn't really beat the countryside to death, but we had the whole unit to ourselves, and he looked big to us, and I remember driving in and thinking he was the one and come back and told my dad, and he, I don't know if he called in sick or what happened, but the next day he was able to get out there, and we looked at him, and he wasn't a ram for us. And, and I think it was that same day, later that same day, it was the second to last day, um, we drove down, we went walking up this canyon um, where you guys killed the big ram this year in that same area, and... Uh, Walking up this canyon to, because we'd seen a ram in the back of the canyon, and we're getting—we only have one more day after this, and we jumped some rams up out of the bottom, and uh, I lay down, and my dad's looking at him like he's—my dad's like he looks big, and anyway, I end up shooting him. We go over there, and you know, you—you you know how it is. Most of the time, you don't really hurry, hurry, on a sheep hunt. Most of the time, right. you really, really take your time. But it, was, it sounds like you guys were down with very few days we left. We were, you know, and, and um, I'm glad we shot him. My dad still's like, man, that ram on the back of that canyon might have been better. But he ended up being five inches bigger than anything else that was killed in that unit. And there, I think there was nine tags that year. So he was five inches bigger than anything else. He was killed by a 12-year-old kid that... I would, there's, and I'm not saying at 12 years old, I was some hunting stud because there's no way. I mean, it was my dad and my grandfather and all the help that I had that, that helped me get it done. I just, you know, happened to be the one that, that got a shoot and drew the tag and, um, kind of the story, I guess, going back into, well, my mom drew that same tag in 1996 and I didn't get a hunt a ton with her, but they, she ended up killing a ram that was, I think. I think he netted at 170 or 169 and seven eighths. I still think he's the biggest ram for a woman out of that, out of that unit. Um, I'm not sure though. Um, but, um, I was trying to beat it. <laughs> I kept texting my mom. We're going to beat your ram. Um, I was trying to beat it with Linda, but, uh, I, I hadn't told anybody this, not even until, I mean, I hadn't told even my wife this, but, um, you know where the parking lot is and and where I filmed the first kind of emotional scene where where I'd seen that dark chocolate ram with my grandfather and we thought Yeah, was, the place you and I nicknamed the parking lot yeah. and yeah, I, I know exactly where you're talking. Well right there is it's the same spot that, that I spotted Linda Kelly's actually um, Linda, I think Linda does know it. I did tell her, but right there is over my left shoulder and that on the highest peak is where I spotted her ram. And, uh, so that, that was, and I really didn't even think about it until after I went back through and was editing her footage and kind of watched the whole episode and, and put it together and then watched the original one. I'm like, man, that was the same spot. And, uh, so that, that was, 
25 years yeah, later or something. 20, oh, yeah, about 25 years later, I think. And it was just, that was pretty, I mean, you can call yeah, that, it whatever. That, what, that wasn't for, that, if that wasn't for a reason, I don't know what it is. You can call it whatever you want to, all the, you know, naysayers or whatever, whatever you want to call it. But for me to, to get a sheep hunt with the help of you and Dar and, and, and you know, I mean, for exclusive pursuits to get that hunt and and to find that ram in that exact same spot and yeah i mean you've got 15d which is just huge yeah. i mean a huge rough very rugged country and for you to find the ram that that your hunter linda kelly uh ended up harvesting in the exact same spot as the ram 25 years ago Literally in the same footprints is awesome. Yeah, it's it's pretty unreal. And um, Linda's Linda's hunt was, uh, you know, just just like any hunter that calls up to book. It, you know, a lot of them you don't know, especially with the way we have to work it with the draw for our big game hunts, because you know, guys guys and gals only draw, you know, a lot of these hunts, not only sheep hunts, but a lot of these hunts are once in a lifetime for people with the way the draw is set up. Um, sure. And just, they're just a limited amount of resources out there. But, uh, let's talk about, let's talk about that hunt and talk about how many days you scouted and, <laughs> you know, what, what you see with the health of the herd and, okay. you know, how, how was it out there in 110 degrees in the summer and, and all of that? The, the summer was, was pretty cool. Didn't see as many sheep as I I'd hoped to um, during the summer months. Um, once October hit, um, I started seeing. But uh, going back to the summer, I mean, it was just cool to get out in some of that country again and really, uh, you know, reflect on some things. Um, but going into October, October, you know, starts to cool off a little bit. They're ruddy. Um, you start to see more sheep, just a ton of sheep. I mean, just, I, I mean, I hadn't been in, in a lot of sheep country and, you know, I know you and Jay had talked, or you and Dara talked about, you know, being a lot of sheep, specifically you, cause I talked to you more than I, I talked to Dara, but, um, they're just an unbelievable amount of sheep in there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, exactly. But- the last couple of years on the raffle tag that we guided, I mean, October, you know, spent, you know, if not, you know, half the month, the three quarters of the month of October, a couple, you know, three years in a row and right there in 15D and, you know, they're running like crazy and it, it's a sight to be, you know, you, you, you could see, I mean, you could see 25 or 30 or more rams in one day, and people look at you like you're crazy, but it's 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 pretty unbelievable. The scary part is you could see even more sheep if there was less burrows. You know what I mean? It just, is that unbelievable or what? Yeah, I mean, I mean there's just... They flew 700, I believe 700 burrows in the 15D survey. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and that might have just been on the north side. That was on the south side. They south 700, side. And there's supposed to only be 400 in that entire unit of 15d and that was just yeah. on the south side and it's just that's that's a that's just a a, a complete mismanagement by our, by our our government officials and and the blm and, uh, yeah i mean that country is steep and rugged as it is you would think it'd be very very hard to get around and in places it is but because there's so many burrows there's literally donkey trails everywhere so you take you know, a, a shaly mountainside that, you know, you couldn't get up if you wanted to, all of a sudden you just go find you a trail because there's just, it's infested. Yeah, it's like, that's the only benefit to them. I mean, yeah, that's the only benefit that I see to those burrows. Um, I watched them, I watched them, you know, uh, a group of them keep some sheep off of water this summer when it was just so, so dry out there in May. And uh, I mean, they literally kept the sheep off water um i took some pictures of them um uh, uh of some barrel cactus that they were just i mean they were just tearing up the barrel cactus and and yeah. all that has you know as well as i do especially in the desert has drastic impacts not during the good times like right now when we're getting a storm system coming through but and it's in the winter but during the summer if you know especially when we get droughty times that's when the huge impacts and 
That's that's yeah. I mean, it, it, people can say whatever they want about the boroughs, and if they want to go out, if they don't believe us, all you have to do is get yourself any kind of pair of binoculars and drive around, and you will see boroughs everywhere, and it they're they're like rats. They are everywhere. They are. They. It, I mean, it's nothing to see a hundred hundred and twenty. Uh, burrows in a day. Oh, no. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's worse than I've ever seen it. Worse. I mean, okay. I, I could not believe it from when I was a kid to even just 10, 12 years ago when I helped somebody on a sheep hunt. I helped two people, one in C, um, South, and one in D. And, uh, man, there wasn't near the uh, – our burrows are out of control. It is just yeah. – it is out of control. But going back to scouting for Linda's hunt, you know, my – and this is part of that, you know, where we have to, and you and I talk about it a lot, is is there's no doubt that any person, 99.9% of people, 100% of people, when they go out, they're going with the mindset, you know, unless they got a cow elk tag, but even then they're probably still trying to kill the biggest cow they can find. You know, if there's a big one, they're going to shoot it. We're all, we're all trophy hunters. Um, and you know, the term, that term has been just totally wiped in the mud by media, um, and just made to be, we're made to just automatically think of the term trophy hunters as people that just cut the horns off and leave, you know, and kind of just, if it's, it, but when we go out there, to, whether it be our own hunt, and I know I'm speaking for you as well, or for a hunter, we're going out there with the mindset of, we're going to try the biggest or try to find the biggest or most unique or, or the animal that fits what we want, you know, um, in our mind. That's, that's the mindset that I had going into this was, was I wanted to find the biggest ram that I could possibly find and do a great job for Linda. And uh, Linda and her husband, Charlie, had a, had a you know, had the reason kind of probably why Charlie booked a hunt was because he had some medical issues going on. You know, and and uh, you know that's a that's another one of those things that you know people don't. I hate I hate the division to where we separate hunting out as this little niche where where it's like you know people go through different challenges in their life. We're all in this thing together and, and hunting is a part of, of life. And, you know, just like Charlie's thing where he had his medical condition, they had one day that he could be there on that first day. And then he had to go back to a doctor's appointment on the second day. And, uh, so I, I guess, you know, for for the listener out there that's kind of listened to this, that's just you know maybe turned off that 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 it's a guided hunt or whatever is just don't judge stuff by by its cover, um, and and that I always argue this, and I'm going to get off on a little tangent, but imagine us, you and I, running on a tangent. <laughs> yeah, me, I draw this tag. And I live here in Kingman, which I already drew. But I, if I draw it now to what I know now, my capabilities, my physical abilities, and all the experience that I've had to this point, and this is going to sound a little self-conceited. You know, so there is nobody that should beat me. There is nobody that is going to beat me on a 15D sheep tag for, if I got the tag myself. If I want to kill the biggest ram... I'm, and, the, and the reason I say that is not because I'm some awesome hunter. It's because of my location and my knowledge and experience that, that Lord willing, that I get the time to scout and I don't have to jump over all these hurdles and obstacles, that I'm healthy, my family's healthy, and you know I'm able to put in X amount of days. I'm 99% of the time, I'm going to find the biggest ram, and I myself am going to kill it. So the the... The the male, and I and I use male. I use male because we dominate hunting, and it's just in our DNA that that lives close to a unit. 
and and has vacation time outside of all the life obstacles of you know that we all encounter that you know every one of us encounter we 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 should dominate that hunt when you come from a different area or you're a woman or you know you go through different obstacles that's where the challenging part gets that's that's when it gets real challenging so i guess going back through all this my mindset was for that hunt for linda was to find the the biggest and best ram that i could and they didn't even ask of me to find a book ram you know they didn't even uh charlie and linda they just they wanted to kill an old you know charlie's involved with the arizona desert sheep society um and uh, big time involved in that and he's you know he knows he wants to kill an older ram um he knows what a pretty darn good ram is and uh you know so i felt him being from that background their situation this hunt coming from you through two exclusive pursuit outfitters or with you in combination with you i felt i don't want to I felt a lot of you know pressure internally. The heat was on for, for myself to to just go out there and do a good to do a good job and and uh, and you know we may not like it but you know you 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 try to do your darndest and and there is a competitive side to it where you know you do want to do the best and um, I well I I know exactly what you're talking about and I think one of the things that makes someone a good guide is you know, I shut everything else out and you, you made a good point, you know, a little bit back about, you know, priorities and, you know, obligations and responsibilities. And, you know, I don't have kids. Um, I have an awesome wife and when either I go on a hunt personally or I'm guiding, the intensity level is as if that's the last hunt I'm going on. And that's how I've always done it. That's how, you know, that's my personality. And, you know, sometimes we do better than than others but i mean in order to be good and in order to consistently produce upper end tier animals and have great experiences i mean you have to go into it all in you, you there's no room to just lollygag around and so i think the more responsibilities you have it makes it more of a challenge and the longer that the hunt goes the more that, you know, you're, you're getting calls from home and you're getting calls from work and you're getting, you know, I tell people a lot and sometimes they just look at me and they you have this, you know, they can't understand the look on their face is you just have to put everything away and block everything out and you have to give it everything. You have to completely call it selfish, call it whatever it is, but that's how con to consistently produce uh hunt after hunt is to give it everything every hunt and you know uh, i know i know we both run at you know a high pace and a high speed and and um you know but the only way to be successful in anything is to outwork the next guy period yeah no and, and just and, it, and it, by outworking it doesn't mean you're always going to come out with the biggest or the baddest or no but it, it means that you're going to be consistent and that's yep. and that's what you you basically just said is just and you do you have to when when I know that that at home that my wife and my kids are doing well and my family's healthy uh, and that's where where stuff gets challenging to manage is is you know every one of us I mean even the guy that draws the elk tag that goes on his own or, or you know or, or or a hunter you know just like in Linda's case you know she was trying to manage a business and. And, and at the same time, take care of her husband and, and had a sheep tag and she was going to donate that sheep tag. And when you have those challenges, your mind's not right. And if you can't get in the right mindset, um, it, it's hard to be consistent. Um, yeah. it is. Okay. Now hard. tell me about finding that Ram and then staying on that Ram. Give me a little bit, just walk me through the process up until and, you know, through the time that she, Linda harvested her ram, you know, just get, walk me through step by step. Well, I went, uh, you know, I, I, I want to make sure I paint the, the right picture. Um, I, I knew a lot about the unit, and then I, you know, I talked to you, and, 
and I'd really looked over a lot of different sheep, but I wasn't finding the sheep. And I, uh, the Game of Fish does their survey in October, and for bighorn sheep, they're pretty, you know, it, it's all public information. So I went over to the office and I talked to Aaron Butler, who's, you know, a friend of mine. Um, her and her, her husband are, are really good friends of mine. And, and I looked through the sheep pictures and the survey, and there was a couple of good rams. There was one ram that really stood out, and, and he was kind of heavy at the ends, and I really liked the look of him. But you know as well as I do when it comes to that, the hunts in December, and those animals move so much. So, you know, you have places where, where they see the animals on these surveys that you – In October. In October yeah. that you, that you kind of know – Okay, well, he, he was here in October, and it, all the sheep hunters can get that information. They just got to go to the office, you know, or request it. And uh, so I went, when I seen the one ram, I'm like, man, that's the ram I, I kind of want to look at. And then there was a couple other ones that were pretty good. And Man, I was just having heck, I, having really finding a ram that I thought was above low 160s. Um, a lot of sheep, a lot of rams. And uh, I went to that area where where I'd been with my grandfather, and I was glassing that day, and um, <laughs> and glass up glassed up the ram, and I, I I might have been texting you, and I know I was texting, I might have been texting Lee um, or my wife. I'm sure I was texting a few people, and and I, I knew I had to climb up the mountain there to get a better look at that ram because he went behind the hill that was closest to me, and. Uh, I went and I, I found him. When I found him, I just I knew he was he was the ram that I'd seen on the survey picture, and he was he was seven or eight miles from where he was on the survey, so he wasn't even in the right country. Um, but I, I knew it was him, and there was just a ton of rams right there. I mean, I think I counted twenty five rams that day, just just right there, and I watched him. And I, uh, it was, it was nervous. I was nervous. It, that was three days before the hunt. The next day I came back out there, found again, and he moved down in this Canyon. And, um, I watched him down there all day in that Canyon, stay with him. It was kind of just this real feeling, um, because I'd found that Ram and was just able to hang with him. And I think I'd seen 35 Rams that day. But you're basically four. you're basically staying on that yes. ram, right? I'm basically staying on him. I'm sitting on a rocky outcropping or below it. I can't remember. Um, surfing the web, shutting my phone off, texting the wife, uh, texting whoever else I can, and just because he's in the spotting scope, so you're just kind of watching just, and then just watching and enjoying the show. I mean, uh, and, and then you're then the, all the all the stuff goes through your mind where you're, you know, is he is he 165 or is he's 168? And, you know, uh, I talked to Charlie and Linda about it and they were, they were like, I mean, mid one sixties, they were happy. And, uh, that night I went home and I, I mean, looked over the footage. I think I sent you footage of him. I sent Charlie footage. I sent Lee footage. I had my dad look at the footage and, you know, I had him, you know, 165 to 167 and then my gut was telling me 168 and then you know you know how it is it just at that point charlie and linda had already told me that they would love to shoot that ram that you know there was no and so that kind of gave me the reassurance like i'm way i'm right in there with the score and age and they love his look and and so the next day with day before the hunt i he was still down that can it took me a little while to find him and then of course you know other hunters had started showing up and i could see him down below me but they weren't glass in the right place and i was getting nervous i'd swing my glasses down there they were two miles away and make sure they're glassing in the opposite direction and you know not like you were going to do anything anyway, yeah but. you know i mean there was nothing you could do and uh so so i met linda the morning of the hunt in person and uh, linda's Wait a minute. When the night before, the night before, we, how far had he moved from where you first saw him, and was he in a good spot or a bad spot? He'd moved. Uh, he'd moved. He was in a great spot that day. He'd moved all the way down the mountain, and I don't know how far. You know, it's probably uh, a half mile, but he he'd come down an elevation a ton, and he was down in the canyon. He was in a great spot for us to get her in there to kill him, 
And I wasn't exactly sure, you know, I kind of had a rough estimate on, you know, Linda's age and capability, but I wasn't exactly sure. Um, I talked to him that night, and we were just going to go kill that ram. Uh, Leah drove down um, to help me or to help us that day, and, and Linda's son, uh, Danny, had come along to help pack her stuff. And because people think Arizona is all flat. Well, the sheep country is steep. Not in 15D. Not, it's about it's as rugged as it gets. And and rocky and unforgiving, and it doesn't care who you are. It is what it is. And that next morning, we hiked in. We got in there before dark, and there was a camp that we come by and ended up being 16 guys in that camp with one hunter. Um, and uh, we drove in there, parked at the spot, hiked in, and Charlie um, had to stay at the truck. He was on IV uh, medications. Um, and he hung him from a yucca tree, so we gave him a radio to keep in contact with us so he could hear what was going on um, and let him know, you know, because he was the only one down there, and he just couldn't go anywhere. He was His back was messed up and on IV medication. And so we took off up there, and we got Lee set up, and uh, Lee couldn't find the ram, and Lee hadn't looked at a, at a ton of sheep, but he was, I mean, Lee's a hell of a hunter, um, and he was there was just so many sheep that you just couldn't see what was what well we we hiked up there and on our way up we just had to keep going because lee couldn't find the ram so we got up to about the second level and i bumped a ram going up well i didn't tell linda and danny but i just caught a glimpse of him and i actually thought it was him and i gave the ram <laughs> linda's ram the nickname popeye after three days you kind of nickname him because you're like, ah, oh, he's distinguished because he has such good mass at the bottom and his bases aren't overly huge. You know, his bases are, are actually small for the mass that he carries at the bottom. So uh, I called him Popeye, and I'm like, oh, dang it, man. I sure hope that wasn't him, but I just caught a glimpse of him. He was just in an odd spot. I mean, he was a ways away from where he should have been. And so we climbed up to the top, and, you know, Lee still hadn't found the ram, and I was glassing. And I'm starting to panic a little bit, and it took us a little while to get up there. You know, uh, uh, it was, it was it, hunting with Linda was about. She's about my mom's age and my mom's shape, and you know, it was a it was a hump to get up there. And luckily, we had Danny with us because Danny carried all of her stuff. And you know, she fell down once or twice, and heck, I probably fell down once or twice myself. I know I did on the way out, um, and. Uh, I just happened to swing the glasses over, and right where I originally seen him was where he was at. And he's in with a big group of rams. He's in with this ram I call Lefty that was probably a 170-inch ram, but he was really broomed off on the one side, um, so he wasn't going to be that. But the first time I'd seen him together, and they were just all together. And um, we had the ram at 400 yards, and it just wasn't steady. Linda wasn't comfortable, so then we had to climb up another a little elevation uh, to, to a mountain. We had to go around the backside of the mountain and come up. Um, and we got up even with the ram. Then we had to go by two burrows that were like 40 yards from us that I thought. Were they blowing at you? Uh, no, they didn't blow at us, thank goodness. But they ended up blowing out, and the sheep just watched them. But I think those sheep that they're so far up there, they just feel so comfortable. You know, yeah. they're so far up there. And when we come out, he was the only sheep that I could see when we come around the rocky outcropping. And he was bedded at 189 yards. And, you know, Linda ended up making the first shot. And then um, she shot him two more times. And um, we went down to him, and he was everything that we thought he was. And um, he ended up, I think he was 170 gross at the game of fish. And I think official the other day, he ended up netting book. Um which was That's which awesome. was awesome. He was eight years old. He was just everything we could get or we wanted to get. And yeah, just, and for the listeners out there, Craig videoed basically everything he's been talking about. And um, how can they find that, Craig? Um, you can go to uh, YouTube and just type in uh, orghunt.com or hunt for more or uh, and go to orghunt.com's YouTube channel. And it's in the hunt for more series. I think it's like, 
I think, I mean, it starts at one. I think I'm at episode 23 now and, um, like 18 or 19, I think is her hunt, the actual hunt sequence, but there's scouting footage in some of the other episodes throughout that whole thing. Yeah. I mean, just a, just a fantastic ending to kind of a lifelong quest. Uh, and you know, there'll be many more after this as well, but um, it was nice, as bad as you wanted it for her to shoot a really big ram and, um, you know, in the same unit where you killed your personal ram and, you know, with, the, with all the story that you told us, um, just pretty neat. But, uh, you know, ending our conversation here, finishing up, you know, being able to hunt and guide in your backyard basically uh, is priceless, is it not? It's It's probably... Sheep hunting and then predator hunting, it's, 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 it's awesome. I mean, the, the, that's kind of what I'm blessed with right here. You know, we ha- I have elk not too far in antelope as well, but um, specific, I mean, for desert sheep and, and predators, it's just right here in my backyard. And it is, it's, a lot of people ask me, well, don't you get tired of hunting? And, and I'm, just, I'm just getting going, I, yeah. I feel and and I think that that I, I'm not tired. Of, I I I love to be able to do it in my backyard. Is I mean, it's it's this kid's dream come true, and to finally be able to make a living, um, you know, uh, guiding and and marketing and and in the in the hunting industry is just um, it's it's I'm I'm very blessed to be able to do it, and it's come with a lot of hard work as well, you know, so. Absolutely. Before we go, tell me about just briefly, we're going to have to cover it in another um, podcast, but uh, tell me about Predator Exclusives. Um, you know, like Dara and I right now, you know, f- after we got back from the, the uh, January coos deer hunt, the rut hunt, pretty much have, you know, the all of February, all of March until I start going turkey hunting at the end of at the end of March over in California. And this is usually our dead month. Actually, for you, you're right in the middle of, of predator hunting, and you do guided predator hunts and um, do phenomenally well. I've been watching you on YouTube and harvesting bobcats and fox and coyotes. Um, yeah. uh, tell me a little bit about what you do, and then we'll cover it in another episode. Well, and how can people find you? Uh, predator hunting, I mean, I, I started that as a kid, too. I mean, the fur industry was... Well, fur prices were booming and, and plus from a ranch, I came from kind of a ranching family. And so it was predator hunting was big. And, and that's something that I got into as, as a, as a, as a young man and kid and, and just, uh, uh, a couple years ago. Um, and when I started guiding and, and was still doing the magazine stuff, I'm like, you know, what do I got here? Why, why am I not doing predator hunts? It's something that I think is growing and I think is, is very needed. And, and I, th- and then you mean guiding predators. Why am I not guiding them? Like, right, why am I, because I do it all the time and, and it's growing and I think it's needed. Predator hunting is needed. And, uh, why am I not doing this? Why? And, uh, um, so, um, I started, it's called predator exclusives. Um, you go to predatorexclusives.com. Um, and, uh, you know, just started doing what we do, writing content and, and filming hunts. And, um, I, I'm, I'm very blessed. Um, and God takes you down different paths. I'm very blessed to learn a lot of different stuff on, and marketing and, um, uh, both, uh, traditional and, and, uh, uh, the digital world. And uh, that's kind of what's got me started. And I, I didn't know it would kind of get to how it is now, um, but it's it's continuing to grow um, huge. And uh, for considering what I thought it could be, and uh, it's it's just it's a passion. It's not just something that that uh, um, I have a couple guys. Um, Chris Chavez, who's just a just a straight up predator hunting fool. Um, Lee Murphy does some hunts. Um, he actually the other day called in a mount line and a bobcat in the same day um, wow. with a client and uh, with two clients. And uh, man, it's just it's something that that I I knew that um, that I could do just as good or better 
than anybody else out there. And that where I live is, is what, what we really, really have and is really, really needed, especially considering, um, I can go out there and shoot them, but you know, then my wife doesn't like me being gone all the time. But when I can, when I can make money doing it, um, and help out our mule deer and sheep and, and animal populations by doing it, um, it's just a win-win. So it's it's pretty awesome to be able to do it. That's awesome. And we'll we'll um, on a future podcast we will go into have you walk us through a day in a life of hunting with the on predator exclusives. Um, Craig, it's been awesome. Um, look forward to the next time we can sit down and talk and. Um, just uh, really thankful for you as a friend and thankful that Arizona has you as an ambassador somewhat of our sport and of our state. And, um, you know, you're definitely one of the guys that does it right. And, um, you know, you should, you should, uh, be proud that, uh, you know, from an outsider looking in, I am a friend, but, um, it's always, uh, you know, it's always nice to see your stuff and, and know you. And, um, so thanks for coming on and, um, look forward to our next conversation. All right. Thanks, Jay. All right, man. Take care. All right, bud. Talk to you later. All right. God bless. Well, thanks for listening to episode number three of the Jay Scott Outdoors podcast. You can follow our adventures on our blog at jscottoutdoors.com. Also on Facebook at J. Scott Outdoors Facebook page and on Instagram at J. Scott Outdoors. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.